Everyone has an authentic and interesting story that we can all relate to. On Authentic Conversations with Stock and Hixie, our podcast gives these stories the space to be heard. Along the way, we will laugh, learn, and appreciate this interesting and crazy journey called life. Now, here is Stock and Hixie for the most authentic conversation you will hear today. Welcome to another exciting, authentic podcast with Stock and Hixie. Uh, I am very excited today. Uh, Hixie has asked our guest uh, here today, which I had never met before, but in looking at her resume and the work she has done prior to coming here, I am extremely impressed. We are lucky to have uh, Patty Cunningham join us here today. Patty does live in... uh, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, I believe she grew up here, but Tommy can tell us more. But, I mean, frankly, Tommy, I did not know you knew anybody that had graduate degrees. That is funny. I know you. (laughs) So, and I know two people. How about about that? So, tell us, how do you know Patty? So, before I get to Patty, um, I do want to say, Rob, I have a question for you. So, when when you walk into the code building, yes, and be honest with me, when you walk into the cold meal, do you feel like I feel like a little hipper, a little cooler? Totally. Than you did five minutes before. Hundred percent. I mean, I mean, I, this is where this is where we need to hang out. Bro. I get a little strut going when I walk in the cold. So do I. I mean, Alan Cunningham, Patty's husband, is right upstairs. Oh, he's got an office here in the cold building. Yeah. I don't know wow. if he's physically there right now, but he has a. No, he he went home, but. He went. He's usually there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's usually there. Yeah. So Patty and I go back a long, long way. She married Alan, um, a fraternity brother of mine, close friend. And uh, as we started talking, Rob, as you know, about guest lists, and we had a bunch of people on there, and we didn't want it to just be uh, 50-something-year-old males. Um, and Patty's interesting background, I mean, when you read her bio, uh, the masters uh, at at Curry in education. Her phone's going off, which is totally fine. Which is totally fine. That, this is a this is a this is a fluid podcast. No one ever calls me. That's, you all, that's a that's not Patty a. Patty is also move. leaning away from the microphone as she says that. So if you hear that in the background, I was cursing, so that's why I lean away. No, that's perfectly fine. Um, Patty's bio is is uh, is is really. Really amazing, and I, I knew that you had had you had a master's degree, and I knew you were a writer and a poet. I, I knew that stuff, but when you see it on paper and you delve into it a little bit more, the details, it's pretty amazing. But the thing that really jumps out at me, and um, I was talking to Alan about it, and he's like, "So you want to interview Patty?" When I told him, I was like, "Why do you want to do that?" I'm like, "She started a high school. <laughs> do you know anyone else?" Rob, in your life that started a high school from scratch? Did you even get out of high school? <laughs> I did, Rob. I did. I actually did. But, Patty, so I, I think we just jumped right to the Renaissance School. And, and to me, there's like, there's like three questions, you know, like how did that come up? Like what was the reason? What did you see? What kind of niche did you see? Um, uh, how, how did you see... Like, was it people coming to you? Were you, like, what, how, how's that? And then um, where do you start? <laughs> right. Well, okay, well, I'll tell you a story. Interesting, though, when I was driving into town, all that traffic, there was this daggone bus in front of me. And I was looking, at like, oh, wow. 
That's the Renaissance High School bus. Wow. Nice. Impressive, right? Mm -hmm. They've got a bus. Mm -hmm. And they're they're still going strong. Oh, they're great. It's great. And, you know, I'm a super fan from afar, but um, spent, you know, 10 years plus um, getting Renaissance School off the ground. So why do you do something like that? For myself, you know, I'd been a teacher. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to be a teacher. My mother was a teacher. I sat at the kitchen table, you know, every evening listening to her tell all her war stories. And I thought, that has to be like the worst job you could ever possibly have. There is no way. (laughs) And as I got older, I was like, there's no way. I don't have the patience to do that. But, you know, life kind of reveals to you, I think, if you're lucky, maybe what you're kind of called to do. Mm -hmm. So I really, I, I started teaching because the guy who taught me driver's ed was the dean at the Miller School. I mean, he was a friend of my parents. And he knew it when I graduated. He said, why don't you come teach a writing class? And I I had had a first job, but that's another podcast. <laughs> that's a really, that was when I was Mrs. Kluge's um, personal assistant. That was an oh. interesting job. That was my first job out of college. Yeah, that might be. Uh... So, yeah, that's another podcast. But anyway, he said, come and teach this writing class. And I did, and I liked it. And he goes, well, why don't you just come full time next year? And I was like, oh, 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 I'm not a teacher. And he goes, well, I think you, you might be a teacher. Sorry, the, what grades, what ages? That was a ninth grade class. I okay. taught a creative writing class. And were you a writer already? Is that I why? I was a writer. Okay. And, uh, well, I was, I, let's put it this way. I was an English major okay. and had written something. Sure, yeah. And maybe I had a cigarette holder or something. So that I put these <laughs> throat, Black <laughs> turtleneck. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But anyway, I, I taught, I ended up teaching at the Miller School for 10 years and then running the English department. And it was a great experience. And then I said, well, I, you know, along the way, maybe five years in, I said, I'm going to go to graduate school mm-hmm. while I'm doing this. And, and also, the other neat thing about that, I worked with my mother. So my oh, wow. mother. She was teaching there. Oh, yeah. And she was like, like ran the place. And she, she's a um, really amazing person. And again, I was like, I can't believe. Well, anyway, we had a hoot. We taught together and we worked together and it was fantastic. And I went to graduate school and was teaching and also opened a restaurant and was running the floor at the Blue Ridge Brewing Company the whole time. And I, you know, that, okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we had the uh, really. Yeah, my with Jeff, with Jess. with my brother. Yeah, yeah uh, great friends of mine that I grew up with. The Summers Boys opened this restaurant, and so that was what we did at night. During the day, <laughs> I was a school teacher, and then I went to grad school in there too. So, wow. To Virginia uh, was that? Yeah, at Curry? and that okay. was at Curry. Yeah, and so um, it, at some point, I said I got to let go of one of these things, and I let go of working at the restaurant. Um, and I really liked, I left teaching at the Miller School and started teaching at Curry, which was great, you know, as a grad student or whatever. Um, loved that. And I really thought, this is what I'm going to do. But, and it was interesting, I had an incredible opportunity when I was in graduate school to really be a writer mm-hmm. um, because my major uh, was in writing and at that point, if you were doing that, you had to go over to, you know, the English department side. And so because I was a, you know, a young creative writer, I got to work with people like Rita Dove and 
the people who were in the department at the time, and it was a pretty extraordinary experience. Rita Dove, the house I lived in when I was in graduate school at UVA at Curry School, when I left that house, Rita Dove rented the house. Well, she's, a, she's a, I, I think that's like, almost like stalking. Isn't it? <laughs> she's, that's Probably. like something I would do. I mean, she was a, she's an amazing, and an amazing teacher, oh. too. So then I thought, well, teaching is pretty cool and whatever. Um, I liked it. And my mother, of course, was this huge influence in my life and a huge presence. And she was a teacher. And uh, and then I met Alan somewhere along the way, too. And he said, let's get married. And I said, that's great. And then I got this knock on my door, my little office. And um, it was this really terrific woman whose husband had started the village school. And she said, look, wouldn't you like to start a high school? And I was like, <laughs> uh, no, I said, I'm getting married, you know, and I'm hoping like I'm going to start a family. And, you know, my husband has two startup companies and like that's not going to happen. And she said, well, go, you know, get married, go on your honeymoon, whatever. And then she came back and knocked on my door again. And I was like, I just don't think there's any way. But then I kept thinking that would be really cool. And so who did I talk to? I talked to my mother and she said, you've been telling me your whole sort of young professional life. If you could do it your way, mm -hmm. you would do it X, Y, and Z. And the Renaissance School, when it started, or even now, what was the idea behind it? Was it considered an alternative school or what was the... So it, it was really, I think, meant to be an outgrow, a sort of the next step for a lot of students at village school. So mm -hmm. village school, you know, is a very successful middle school for girls. Mm -hmm. You know, my daughter went there. Amazing, transformative, excellent instruction, the whole nine yards, and really empowering for young women. And so the idea was, let's have a school. And a lot of the parents, I think, at village school were looking around to say, where, were, where will our girls go to high school? Mm -hmm. And um, that, I think, was really the genesis. Uh, Nancy Noor was married to Jamie Noor, who I really think of as like the founder of Renaissance School. She she came and knocked on my door. But at, at wasn't it, sorry, wasn't it, there's an arts? Yeah, so that actually came later because you said, okay. how do you start? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. And first, first of all, I went to lunch with these people to tell them that I could not be the head of the school, that I couldn't do this thing, start this school, right. because I talked to my brand new husband of like three months about it. <laughs> and he said, no, I don't think it's too much. Uh, he said, you know, maybe we'll be able to start a family, whatever. And I went to the lunch and then I went home and he goes, well, how was it telling him no? And I said, well, you know, I told him yes. <laughs> and he, you know, to his credit, didn't like divorce me right then. He said, well, this is going to be a lot of work because it's really, it was a startup. Oh, yeah, And of he course. knew exactly what it was like. Yeah. So we were lucky. We had a little bit of grant money that we had gotten, and we recruited faculty. And literally for a year, no one gets to do this. For a year, we met and we talked about curriculum. Mm -hmm. And we thought about a curriculum that included the arts. And in large part because I do believe that if you ask young people to do things like that, like, dance or perform on stage in any kind of way, that is a moment where they have to step out of themselves and take huge risks, which of course is how we learn anything, and they're really better for it. Um, making something, whether it's a poem or 
a painting um, or telling a story, right? Uh, it is really a transformative experience. So our, our curriculum really ran off a history thread. Everything spun out of that. Yeah, what, so, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, so history was the centerpiece. And so as you plot along, your, whatever you were reading sort of in your language arts class perhaps was matched with that period in history. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a thread that we used. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of the way we spiraled the curriculum. So, Patty, I, having never met you before and sitting here and talking, and you talking about the restaurant and the fact that you're a poet mm -hmm. and the fact that uh, you were a teacher at Miller and mm -hmm. that you started a high school, mm -hmm. my question is, what drives you? Hmm. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I think a lot of it has to do um, with wanting to be a leader. You know, I, I had great models of that, not only with my mom, but other people in my family growing up. And, um, yeah, I think something about saying, someone told me once about starting the school, a lot of people talk about doing things. Yeah. And yeah. then some people yeah. do them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, my hat's off to you guys because I, you're doing something. You know, you probably talked about it, but now you're really doing it. That's a, that's a huge thing. And... Th to me, it's sort of like life gives you certain opportunities, and mm -hmm. sometimes you let them go, and sometimes you say, no, I will do it. So I guess if there's some drive, it comes from a, that kind of place. And by leadership, I mean wanting to sort of pay back or do more or, you know, for myself, build community, sure. you know, and, and centered around young people. You know, I liked teaching college kids a lot and have a ton of stories about that. But I think something happens in adolescence that can be very scary and super tricky. And I certainly know it now as a parent. And when I started the school, I was right. not a parent. Right. Right. But, you know, there is a long, dark tunnel that's adolescence. And you go in it, and, you know, some people don't come out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Some people don't come out of it until they're 45. Right. right. But, but there has to be a way... And, and some people kind of go away when they enter that place. Mm -hmm. They don't want to talk to adults anymore. They don't want right. to maybe talk to anyone. You're, you're very, because, you know, you wake up in the morning, your body's like different than it was yesterday. It's all kind of a crazy town right. adventure. Mm -hmm. But we really thought, back to the school thing, you know, what if you could have a school that really allowed kids to talk to adults not as like do this or that, but really around like a Harkness table conversations and where kids were asked to do things that made them take risks that made them feel better about themselves. You sound, Patty, I can't tell you how much you sound like my wife. My kids went to Free Union. Oh, yeah. Country Such school. a beautiful school. Same, yeah. same premise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when you're talking to parents, the, I mean, brand new, you, you've started the school, you now have the building. Right, you've rented some place, right? You, you've got to have classes. You've got faculty, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't yeah. have a bus, though, yeah. right? We didn't have a bus then. That came later. So when you're talking to prospective parents, and they're like, hey, is, is my, my daughter or my son going to get accredited? Is this accredited so he, can go, he or she can go to college? Yeah. Like, that must have been 
Yeah. Even like that, that's got to be a, a long it, tr- process, right? Yeah, there's a, there was a lot to do. Yeah. And, you know, we thought seriously about whether we should have, a, um, you know, a charter school, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There, that was a lot of rigmarole that I didn't really know because I'd been teaching in independent schools. So um, I thought the independent school route made sense for us. But, you know, I picked up the phone and called people. I called dear Jack Blackburn at the University of Virginia, and I said, look, we're in three years going to have graduates, and they're smart, and they are going to apply to the University of Virginia. Um, Will you look at them? Yeah. Will you look at them? Yeah. And what's it going to take? And we're making a conscious decision not to offer AP classes. Right. We're going to teach our own curriculum because Mm -hmm. we feel that it is as good a curriculum and as challenging as it can be. Now, should we have them take the test? We think we can pre- prepare them to take the test, but we're not going to right. teach purely to that test. Right. Um, and he said, well, this all sounds very interesting. You know, I, I did the same thing. I remember um, the admissions director of Dartmouth College. I called him, and he, he, he called me back. He said, you know, I think I'm going to come visit your school. Wow. This was like we were still above, like, the you know, the men's and boys shop on the downtown yeah, mall. Yeah, I remember that. And, I remember uh, that. Yeah. and I thought, get ready, people, because yeah. we're he's going to mm-hmm. walk around, it's, go down in that basement where we're, like, performing theater, you know, doing crazy things, and uh, he's going to sit in on these classes, you know, and he did. And we got kids in the Dartmouth. It was exciting. It's amazing. So, so and he, he said to me, he said something interesting. He said, there used to be a lot of schools like this. I was mm. like, like in the 70s, you know? Right. Like, back to your oh, question yeah. about this is some alternative thing. Right. Um, he goes, but, you know, they kind of all went away. Right. Which is, I'm very happy that Renaissance School is still around. Mm-hmm. And when you open the doors, how many people, do you remember how many, like the first year, how many people, how many students yet? I think there were literally 15. Yeah. And, you know, those parents. What, what's it now, do you know? I mean, could you guess? Uh, uh, probably 60. Which See. is never designed to be a big yeah, sure, school. Sure, sure, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. of course. Always designed to, uh, and I don't know if that's exactly the right number, but never designed to be big because the, the students, as they go through the curriculum, they do independent study program and senior thesis program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also are in a place where if they have a really good idea about something that I'd like to do, um, like I had a student who said, I really want to run cross country. We didn't have. Mm-hmm. Sure. Organized sports. I was like, okay, well, we're going to print you up a singlet and we're going to enter you in these races. Uh, and she ran and she was great. And I notice now, um, you know, as I follow, Renaissance School has a really champion chess team now. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. And lots of kids pursue. I think that we had a kid who was a fencer who was very good and people who competed, you know, in equestrian events, et cetera. And, so there were kids who were athletic, but they were not going to be football players or, you know, yeah. they weren't following that sort of mm-hmm. traditional sure. high school path. And they were also looking for a much more um, handcrafted, if you will, academic experience. I would say typically the students who go there were sort of yeah. brainiacs kind of right. in a very good way. Let me ask, I'll ask another question here and change it just a little bit. Um, when you talked about adolescence and the transformation they go through, um, it made me think I was chair of the board of a um, boys' boarding school. 
And we had education consultants all the time who were helping the boys determine where would they go to school next. And one of the things that I think we've all probably read about recently is the levels of depression and anxiety and whatnot in the adolescent culture now. Mm -hmm. And wanted to find out, do you have any take on why that is or do you have any beliefs on why that is, given your history in education? Well, I do, and they're just uh, opinions, of course. Sure. Um, I think um, my thing that rang has done us in. I think phones and, you know, the Internet is extraordinary. It's amazing. It does so much for us, but it's really ruined us. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really ruined. um, Well, we're not ruined. I'm not... But the you know, social media aspect. Yeah, I think social media makes life really challenging. Boy, if, um, you, if you're a kid, and, and I, I know, I mean, I have some stories, but if, if you're a kid who's really not sure of himself or herself. Yeah, you, you it, can get slaughtered out there. Yeah. Absolutely slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And it makes you just want to crawl up and never leave the house. You guys, don't you, I mean, I don't know. You were probably big studs in high school, but. (laughs) Well, I know I was. I'm not sure about Tommy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Patty. And the podcast is now over. Greenwich High. Um, You know, high school and uh, high school, you know, I was like a cheerleader. And Mm. I still think of it as one of the grimmest times. Yeah. There's just something about, Mm -hmm. and we didn't have cell phones, so it's not all cell phones and the Internet and everything. It's just a super challenging time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were trying to figure out who you are, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to know. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. I mean, we, you, when we were growing up, it was, you know, you wanted to go to a party, and you would call, you'd call over to Jimmy's house, or I'd call Jimmy. Uh, Hi, Mrs. Perry. Is Jimmy there? Uh, hold on. Let me see. And then she put the phone down, and like five <laughs> minutes later, he'd come up. and Or he wouldn't come up. She'd get back on the Somebody phone. Somebody else would pick up the Somebody, phone. Somebody else. His brother would pick the up the phone. Jimmy's not here. <laughs> Bam. Well, I guess I'm not going out tonight. Right. I mean, like, you can't just get in the car and drive around mm. looking well, for people. Although, I mean, you do I did, that? I did, <laughs> I did do that. But if you didn't know where everyone was going, now they all know where everyone's going. And then if you don't get the invite, oh, they're all taking cool. pictures. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. It's so it's really interesting because that was the exact what you said about social media and was one of the answers that I had gotten before. And then also the fact that just given the fact that mental health issues are now more prevalent, so people tend to talk about them where they didn't in the past, which I think is a positive thing. But the third one I thought was really unique and a little bit far out there was she had shared with me that she felt like when foods started to become modified in the 60s and 70s that it had an impact on adolescent development. And I thought that that was a really unique Isn't that take. Also pretty scary. Any yeah. studies been done around that? She had there. mentioned some. You know, I, I really can't reference anything, but I just thought that that was an interesting variable that had gotten thrown out there in regard to it. Wow. Yeah. Fruit, well, fruit loops. Chemicals. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably a combination of things. Sure, sure. But I think, to your point... It is a tough time. It's always been kind of a tough time to be a teenager. Although, you know, you, you think about our parents' generation, you're a teenager and you're just, you know, marching off to war. Sure. I mean, you, yeah, you're right. like, okay, well, I just got to get on with my life. Right, right, right. Teenagers do see limitless possibilities yes. with what they can do with their lives, which mm-hmm. can be exciting now, yes. and also mm-hmm. so overwhelming. And so, like, 
well, I could never do that. Right. You know, which is why your podcast is so inspiring. Probably the <laughs> person out there is going to go, look, those guys did it. I could, I could find my way too. So, Patty, you need to come back for another podcast yes. because so you're far you've been a wonderful guest. <laughs> It always helps when you when you give the hosts uh, you know pats on the back because we need them. Our twenty five listeners. Hello, twenty five. Um, so I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Yeah. So back to you mentioned leadership. Yes. Um, so tell me what your thoughts on whether they're your tenets of leadership or you know what do you look for? What's a great and I'm not not political or you know whatever. Just just a, a leader. What does that mean to you? Well, mm-hmm. sort of like styles of leadership. I mean, I think what makes it. Yeah, makes I think it people who the people I admire who are great leaders are are um, quiet. They're kind of doers. Uh, they're great, great listeners, and um, they make community wherever they go. Mm-hmm. So that people are, and and I think they're. Uh, pretty good at seeing big picture stuff, mm-hmm. right? And they see holes, uh, needs, and they figure out ways to fill them. And they're not about, I'm going to do it all myself, but maybe we can all do this together. Right. And I think uh, the people I've enjoyed working with the most and working for the most are people who go, we're, we're really on a team here. Mm-hmm. Right. And together we could probably get something really good done. Right. So I think those are really good. And, but inevitably, someone in the room has to sort of organize a bit or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I definitely think uh, the listening is number one. Um, empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. Understanding the person across from you and um, their, what they're going through in life and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the days of barking orders. I mean, if you're in the military, I get it, right? We need to take that hill. We're not talking about it. We just need to go take the hill. But the thing. work you did before that yeah. means that everyone will go with you. Follow. Right. They yeah, don't yeah. run away. That's yeah. a great. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So in the work that you do before that is the real work of leaders. Yeah, right. Now, someone does have to stand up and say, yeah. I will lead the charge. Yeah, right. But the real leaders are the people who are sort of quietly doing it all kind of in the background. And yeah. you also said the ability to see the whole picture or the macro picture. But get a big picture. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that's an inherent skill or do you think that's developed or... I think it's probably both, but I would say for myself, although I have a bit of tunnel vision, but it takes a while to let the world not run you and sort of like step back and be able to see the world, you know, kind of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And we live in a complicated world. I mean, I I couldn't tell you like global politics and geopolitical stuff like, wow, the the machinations of all of that, I, I don't know. But I do know and have learned a bit about, you know, people. Mm-hmm. This is kind of probably your skill set. Um, and people need to be kind of inspired, mm-hmm. right, to, to be, and they need to be heard. And they need to feel like they matter. Absolutely. And if they don't, then they can get led away by the loudest voice out there. Mm-hmm. And, but if you... Find a way to get people to work and really feel empowered by that work. Same thing with, like, young people, giving them, like, sort of really meaningful mm-hmm. stuff to do right. when they're young and trusting them with it. Uh, you know, you, you grow and, and 
you see that can do good things. That's the other thing I was going to say too, which I really back to leadership. There has to be sort of you you have to kind of understand your own moral self. And I think that really helps when you when you go out to try and convince some people to hey, let's do this thing. Right. Why do you want to do that? But they know. Don't you think people inherently know if you go out and try to convince people, they inherently have an instinct about how you really feel about what you're what you're pushing or wanting to do or behind? I think, yes, if you can share it. Yes. You know, I can. I'm just back to what you all are doing. You know, if you invite people to sort of talk about what matters to them, mm-hmm. then you are a long way towards saying... I agree, or I don't agree, or right. let's build a bridge, sure. right? right? So that invitation to to people to really say what matters to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of that, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I'm really interested in hearing about, and don't we don't have as much time left, but I want to hear about your writing. <laughs> uh, are you... I, and I don't really know. Are you a poet? Are you a short story writer? What's your creative writing? And what inspires you in writing? Um, well, so I was trained as a poet, and I do like writing poetry. And uh, I I thought for a while I will be a poet. You know, I have this poem tacked up over my desk that says, uh, I stopped writing the poem because I'm ironing my husband's shirt. That's always been my, my sort of cop-out poem for life. I was like, well, I, what happened? I... You know, you used to like you spend a lot of time. You know, you send your work out, mm-hmm. see if it can get published. And sure. People send you back rejection letters that are sometimes cute and sometimes terrible. Right. You know, like knives to your heart. I got one once that was like a guillotine chopping off someone's head. And I had to laugh. It made me laugh. But anyway, you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> oh my. Well, you know, not this time. But anyway, Rob's a huge poetry guy. I just want you. To... Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, we can recite some later. But anyway, I thought <laughs> that's what I would do, but. You know, that's a, but I did some other things. And I started teaching and really teaching. And I mm-hmm. used to write in the mornings before I taught. And then um, I'll tell you a little project I'm working on now. Okay. So for the beginning of this year, I said, I'm going to write, I read this somewhere and it seems like a fun thing, a haiku every day. Just a haiku about whatever happened today. Mm-hmm. So I had a little notebook. I almost brought it. I could have. Reggie's and Zingers. But anyway, the, uh, it just, uh, one of the things I like about poetry is that it's, it's really structured. And so it's a way of making or exercising some control, I suppose, in what can often feel like a completely chaotic place, mm-hmm. your, your right. life, right? And so to sit and, and exercise the discipline and to say, and especially something, even as, and everybody can write a haiku, right? Remember? Remember what a haiku is? Um, I just want to say, Rob, haiku <laughs> is, not, is not the Japanese restaurant in town in the downtown mall. Just to clear that up. You know, uh, pretty, you, everybody learns this early on in school. <laughs> what is a haiku, by the way? Real I quick, have, Patty, before I, you I before, cannot what remember. is a haiku, I, Tommy? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. You have five, it's three lines, right? Three mm-hmm. lines, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, three five lines. Five syllables. <laughs> Seven syllables, five syllables. I yeah. hope I got that right. That's what I've been. We honestly, Patty, when you asked us that question, 
You had no idea. Thank God I'm not getting graded for that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sort of fun. You could do whatever you want to do, but I just decided to do so that. So you do one every day? Yeah, but I have fallen off. I mean, sometimes you're like, dang, I'm three days behind. I've got to write three really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and what are they about? I don't care anymore. I just write them. But, you know. So it's just sort of an exercise of doing something. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, they, and you know, actually in COVID, huh? I that was a very interesting time because like I was writing, I'm just writing COVID poems, right? Right. About, and there was a lot to process, of course. Sure. Especially during those early lockdown days. Oh my gosh, yeah. I go back and look at those now and have a few laughs. Do you, do you feel like when you said a lot to process, when you write poetry, do you feel like it helps you process what's going on in your life? Oh, absolutely. And that's what writing does. No matter whether you're writing a grocery list or a to-do list or your novella or your life story, you are making sense of everything that's happening around you. You know, I read once there was a coach and he said, I can't get these football players to learn the plays. He kept handing out the notebooks and saying, memorize this. But then somebody said, get them to write them down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they wrote them down and they learned them. And I don't know how you studied in, in college or whatever, but you know, I would write my notes down. Mm -hmm. You write them over. This is, writing is really thinking. And so writing, you know, and there have been a lot of studies done about this too. I think there's a guy in Texas, Pennebaker, this guy has done these studies that actually writing makes you a healthier person. I mean, it lowers your blood pressure. It, I mean, it, that one seems like a given, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if, so, you know like kids get in an argument or something goes down in school. Mm -hmm. They come to me, I go, all right, everybody's upset. I want you to just sit down and write it. You know, when you're upset, you're down here, yeah. like in your brainstem. Right. Like well, that's nap, why they talk like about flailing. people journaling, right? right? Journaling in the morning to to release what's going on or to totally. get in touch with it, right? And whether it's gratitude or whatever, but that is a real thing. Bibliotherapy. Also, when you write something, let's say something happens to you. I had a wonderful teacher. He's at UVA, and he's one of my favorite poets. His name is Gregor. He had a very traumatic experience, and you should read his book because you will think, how could you recover? He was hunting, and he, with his brothers and his father, and he climbed over a fence. His gun went off, and his brother was killed accidentally. Oh, mm, mm. And this story, you just it just seems like how, how could you ever resurrect yourself mm -hmm. from right. that? And he couldn't for a long time, but then um, he started writing, and he became a poet. Mm -hmm. And you take things that happen to you, which can rule you, right, if you don't talk about them or let them out. But when you write them down, you exercise a kind of control over them that you would not normally have. It doesn't make them go away. It doesn't make them any less terrifying or terrible or heartbreaking, but you have a kind of control over them that says, you know, I'm going to put you here. That's amazing. That you, what you, I, I love what you just said about you made reference to having things inside. Sometimes they can control you. I have a very good friend who, who always says, own it. And he says, you know, once you own it, whatever it is, as opposed to trying to push it away, push it down, push it in the shadows. Once you own it, it takes away a lot of its power. Yeah. Right? And it's really interesting because I've never thought about 
writing or creative writing is a medium for um, dealing with some of these interpersonal questions or issues that people might have, and then also the concept of control. It's fascinating. Well, think about, like, if you had something, I always say, I'm, I could either go yell at my sister-in-law or I could write down something, like mm-hmm. write or no. Then you're like, delete. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much better. And I have very nice sister-in-laws. But anyway, but just as an example, you know, it is, I think owning it, you know, life is a lot about owning mm-hmm. it. I think being vulnerable in that ownership yes. is part of it, too. Yes. You know, some people say, I'll own it and I'll just gut it out. Right? No, but no. That that thing about saying, I will face it, mm-hmm. deal with it, see it, and keep going. Yes. That's a, that's the, really yeah. what life is. The, the, v, the, the dreaded V word, vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. For, for, you know, for guys... That's uh, that's that's tough, but that that's what it is. Uh, you know, listen. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna start. It, we, we've had an unbelievable conversation. Look, can you imagine that it's already thirty six minutes? But wait, we haven't talked about all the interesting things I wanted to talk to you about. But, well, that means you're gonna come back. You're gonna come back. That's right. <laughs> you, I didn't you, get to hear enough about you all's story. So. Well, no, no, no. We're not here. But we, you you heard our story. We're we're here to talk talk about you but uh, really really thank you again for so taking nice the time in the, the last last minute um whole thing about it and really really appreciate it it was fantastic stuff that was awesome really was really really Thanks, good Scott. thank you thank you um anything tommy you want to say before we close out i don't think so i'm i'm gonna go write some haiku or, <laughs> or at least go to a japanese <laughs> restaurant named haiku <laughs> i'll meet you there and in keeping with the idea of being vulnerable and open. I read something today that I wanted to share in regard to living an authentic life, and it says, living an authentic life honors the divine gifts within oneself. So I encourage everybody to live an authentic life because you're honoring the gifts you have within yourself. Next time. Nice, Thank you. Amen. Amen. Authentic Conversations with Stock and Hicksie is broadcast for the world from Charlottesville, Virginia by Tom Hicks and Rob Stockhausen. Please like, follow, and share if you have enjoyed this conversation. Have an authentic day.